So I'm a father of one. I gotta find a babysitter. I found care.com and I was blown away. Through the platform, I was able to find local and experienced candidates along with their reviews and rates, which were way more affordable than I anticipated. Care.com really put me at ease knowing that they were all required to go through a background check. If you're like me and you need to find someone reliable for your childcare necessities, check out care.com. Find the ideal sitters for your childcare needs. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome into the Otson Audible's post-game edition. I'm Matt Pramer, Scopel on the show. Recording from a hotel room. I mean, we've got fancy artwork behind yes. us. How about that? We've got UCLA, Colorado on the TV. Uh Oregon 35, Utah 6 in a blowout game that, let's be real, no one was expecting this. And if you were, like, I guess kudos to you. But at the same time, like, you were probably more so hoping than expecting the way that this game played out. Um, Utah under 250 yards of total offense. Oregon had under 400, uh, which is a low number. But – they were basically unstoppable for about a six or seven drive possession, you know, stretch of possessions that Utah just couldn't stop them. And we were talking about this on the, on our lift ride back from the stadium that Oregon made Utah look very average mm-hmm. and that doesn't happen. Well, the other thing we talked about that I thought was a good place to start was that we were excited about the, getting to see the Rice Eccles stadium experience. And Matt right. had never been, this is my, this is my, this is my third time. We didn't really get an opportunity to see that because Oregon quieted them right off the bat. And, and I think if you listen to our shows throughout the week, like what myself, Matt, and Jared had said was if Oregon could build a lead, it was going to be hard for Utah to stay in this game. And that's exactly what happened. Oregon goes right down the field, scores on its first drive. There's that turnover. Utah ends up kicking a field goal. Oregon comes right down the field, scores again. I think it was a turnover on downs or, or should say a punt. Yeah. Oregon comes right down the field, scores again. And by the time it was 21 to three, I think we both looked at each other and said, this is like, if Oregon scores another touchdown, it's probably over. And they didn't even need to do that, but they tacked on a couple in the second half. I, I thought this was about as impressive of a performance as you could expect. I'll have my game grades tomorrow. Um, probably going to be a lot of A pluses in there. I try not to do that very often, but when you win on the road at a place like this against a team that is so hard to blow out, we were talking about in the press box, this is the first time since 2014 a team has gone on the road and beaten Utah. Um, by this many points. The last time was when this, I, I totally forgot about this, but apparently Arizona beat them 42 to 10. Yes. 42 to 10 in 2014, yeah. late November. That's the same year that Oregon beat Utah by 24, which was 
before today, the highest margin of victory Oregon has ever had at Rice Eccles Stadium. Now it's 29 after today. Um, I'm just, I'm shocked mm-hmm. at, I'm not surprised Oregon played well. I'm not surprised that Oregon won this football game. I'm surprised in the manner that they made Utah just look very average. And you have to, you know, look, this isn't Utah week one. No. They have so many injuries, and this is probably, you know, they just came off an emotional win at USC last weekend on the road. They're they're riding high. They're feeling good. Uh, you know, Oregon, they're a couple weeks now removed from their own emotional game against Washington a couple weeks ago. Um those games drain you. Yeah. And when you don't have your full complement of players, you're asking guys to play above their weight and it probably finally caught up to Utah. That's, that's exactly how I felt, right? Like in Bryson Barnes, I was just looking at the numbers 15 for 29 yards, 130, sorry, 15 for 29, 136 yards, two interceptions. This was this was kind of what we talked about. This was the script for Oregon is if you made Bryson Barnes, you know, forced him to beat you. It was not going to turn out well for the Utes. And I, I was really impressed with the way Oregon shut down the Utah run game. I think it was 26 yards rushing you know, early in the fourth quarter. They finished with 99 with some kind of mop-up duty right. yards. But like to your point, like Utah has been banged up. They've been playing basically with out of you know a high-end quarterback all season. And if Cam Rising is healthy, this game probably feels a little bit different. I don't know if Oregon loses because Oregon was just firing on all cylinders today, but with better quarterback play, this game is certainly closer. And Barnes has been really impressive with what he's done this year. I don't want to take anything away from him. But today, to your point, they kind of cut up with him. And he just wasn't able to do enough. Um, he made a couple nice plays in that final drive of the first half where he kind of felt like, okay, the Eats have a little bit of a pulse. They're down 15 at half. was the best drive of the game. Second half, it was just back to normal. And, and he looked – he just looked a little bit outclassed against yeah. Oregon's athletes, I think. And, you know, that that's a lot of what – Whittingham said post-game, we were reading his comments on the ride back home because we didn't get to see it. Um, And he said, very rarely do they get beat at home. Very rarely do they get blown out anywhere. And both happened today. Uh, He gave full credit to Oregon. And he said, very rarely do we get out physical at at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. And that's what happened. Both coaches said going into this week, they said the keys to victory were winning in the trenches and winning the turnover battle. And Oregon won both of them. And it wasn't and because of that, it wasn't close. Um, I, I think we could go in a bunch of different directions of – we could talk about Oregon's defense, how I – mean, we talked about multiple times during the game. Like, they tackle so well. So well now. Um, in space, one-on-one, rallying to the football. We could talk about Bo Nix. I mean, he only had two touchdown passes. He only threw for 248 yards. But we're going to hear a lot the next week about Bo Nix and the Heisman because – when you play at 1230 in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. everyone's going to see this game. Big noon kickoff was here. We heard Gus Johnson multiple times yes. through the wall. We were call, right next door to his booth. <laughs> call this game and just go crazy about the work and plays. And Bo played perfect. And I know his numbers don't look anywhere special. You know, they look very average in today's day and age of college football of 250, 250. And by his standard, too. Yes, by his standard, too. But he was surgical. The, the way he started this game, and that's probably let's start there. I mean, because you said it a couple times earlier on the show, like the way Oregon started, they got up by one touchdown, and then they got up by eleven points, and the next thing you know, it's oh my god, this, this game's over because Utah can't move the ball, and it 
It's because Oregon's offense played lights out to start the game. I think he went 12 of 13 to start the game. Yeah, 12 of 13 to start. He was a part of all three touchdown drives to, in terms of the actual scoring. He ran in the first one. He found Jordan James on a nifty little angle route to the middle of the field. It was wide open. And then I love the execution on the one to Troy where there's a bit of a rush. He steps up, and he just delivers a dime to the back of the end zone. He kind of, in typical Bo fashion, he kind of downplayed his play yeah. and talked about other things he wanted to do better. And you're kind of going like, man, just be – just enjoy it. Come I, out and say, like, yeah, I'm freaking good. I know. And that's and the funny thing is that Dan had just talked about how Bo thinks he's Goliath out here and he's so confident. But when he gets in front of the microphone, he is so humble. And I, and I love this about yeah. him, to be clear. I, I'm not saying I want him to come up there and be Jameis Winston or something where he thinks, like, oh, I'm, I'm the greatest thing. Right. And says kind of some stuff where you're going, that seems a little bit weird. But at the same time, you know, this was a game where, where Bo, we talked to, to Dan about the Heisman Trophy thing. He said he thinks Bo's the best quarterback in the country. Jackson Powers Johnson raved about him, as you would expect. Those two are really close. Yeah. Trisha, Trisha Holden, had to, you asked a good question about that. I hadn't put two and two together until, right. like, he brought it up. He's like, yeah, I've played with two Heisman quarterback winners. So I, I know what it's like. I know what they have to do. And he he exemplifies all the traits that those two guys did at Alabama. Uh, and he basically cited their leadership and in, in the way that, that, that you know they guide the offense down the field. He said Bo does the same thing, and that's what we've heard since day one, since Bo's been here, of what makes him so special. I think every time you talk to someone about Bo Nix, it, it's they always start with he's an awesome leader, mm-hmm. and it's not oh he has this rocket of an arm or he's he can escape any pressure. It's always yeah. the intangible. Exactly. Of, he is a, a tremendous leader of, of this team, and that's what happened today. No, and, and that was what was special because Bo even, you know, again, he doesn't love talking about himself, but yes. he loves talking about the team, team having success. And he did say getting out to that quick start was exactly yeah. what we wanted. That was the most important thing that happened today is the fact that we got, we came out, and we scored three or four, four drives. And the, the one drive they didn't score on was, we should know, Oregon's very first, first fumble, fumble of this season and also the very first fumble by a running back. Um, since Carlos Lachlan took over last year, that's a crazy stat. It took 20 games for a running back to fumble under Carlos Lachlan's watch. And it was kind of just one of those weird things where Bucky gets tackled and he runs into his offensive line and the ball pops out. You know, those kind of things are, you think those would happen, you know, more often, but this was the time it happened. Other than that, the offense was flawless. Their first, I guess, three plus the fumble drives. And, um, and Bo talked about the value of that. And, and exactly. And it's what we've already mentioned before where, where that sort of set the tone. And if you're Utah, you're on that sideline going, Oh man, we can win a game when we're ahead 21 to three. That's where we like to be. But when yeah. we're behind 21 to three, can't do it. I don't know if we can do it. And they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't really pass really with really much consistency. This was an awesome performance by the defense. But just to finish the Bonix thing, I think he's going to start getting a little more Heisman buzz. I, I, we talked about it, I think, on, on Thursday's prediction show about how like you could get plus him. 900 right now. He's now down to plus nine. It was plus 3,000 like earlier this past yes. week. And we both were like, that seems. Kind of, kind of a little bit crazy. Yeah, he went into today at plus nine hundred, and I expect that to go down again. If you should have bet that, if you were wanting to bet it, and, yeah. I, and again, we don't know if he'll win. There's a lot of games to be played, but I wrote a story already up on Duck Territory. Go check it out. But this was this was an opportunity to be a Heisman moment for Bo. And again, statistically, not his best game of the season, but against this defense, with how hard it is to win in Utah, and certainly how hard it is to win like that, super impressive. And then again. Gus Johnson's booth was right next to us. And it was one of the cool things where we could hear his commentary and I could hear him say Bo and Heisman probably half a dozen times over the game. And I'm sure the national audience heard it even more because, you know, they, they weren't 
uh, there wasn't a wall between them. They were actually listening <laughs> to the game. So um, I, I think this is one that's going to matter a lot from a from a national perspective on Bo Nix's candidacy. I I don't know if he'll be the favorite. I doubt he will, but I think he's certainly going to. He's putting him, himself at least in position to be in New York City in a couple of weeks, I, about a month. And I think this is another one that uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, Oregon starting center, probably becomes the front runner for. Is it the Remington Trophy, which mm. goes out to yep. the nation's number one center in college football? Um, Jonah Ellis. We talked about this multiple times during the week. Yeah, players have mentioned it. Utah's defensive line. I mean, we know this. This is their. This is who they are. They are an elite front seven defense that disrupts every offense that they face, and they play a physical brand of football that just grinds you down on both sides. Yes. And I just saw this stat, and I'm absolutely floored by it. That he has no stats? That, too. <laughs> he didn't do anything. Jonah Ellis had zero sacks, no tackles. I mean, that alone is phenomenal. Yeah. But I guess I'm mixing two things together. Oregon had zero yards lost. Yeah. Like – Yeah, zero plays went for negative yards. Either. Yes. Um, that is not abnormal for Oregon to do during a game. That is extremely rare to do for Oregon or anybody against Utah. Yeah, I wish we had this Utah season stats. So I wish we could see the gauge for that because I'm guessing most games they average six to eight tackles for loss. I, I know they were leading; they were really, leading or tied with Oregon near the top of the call. We might be able to look it up real quick. Yeah, see if you can find that, and we can just do an average of what what they do. Um, and this is where you're getting to see behind the thing where we're, we're both on camera here and Matt is scrolling to pulling up collegefootballstats.com and, and looking to see how many tackles for loss um, Utah has had this season. And, and again, um, I, I just thought the way the offensive line performed, I know when Dan pointed out. So they've had 50 going into this week. In seven games. In seven so games. Seven per game. Their lowest total is three at Baylor. Last week against SC, they had four. Uh, against Oregon State, they had 13. And against they UCLA, <laughs> they had 11. So this is a team that, again, is extremely disruptive. Oregon didn't let that happen. And, again, there were some penalties late that were kind of weird. I mean, the, the crowd, again, was basically filing out of the stadium by halftime. I mean, we looked up in the middle of the third quarter, and it was it was about <laughs> half empty. I sent out a tweet that was kind of joking and kind of trolling, I'll admit it. Um, but today was uh, Mighty Utah Student Section Appreciation Day. Uh, the must. And at the start of the fourth quarter, over half the students had left. Yeah. Um, and that's you know, like, that goes to your point. Like we were hoping to see the rice cycles experience. This is a place that 80 straight sellouts. I think 81 now. Um, They've won 29 of 30, 29 games. of 30. The last time they lost to a team with fans in the stands was 2018 to Washington in early September. I mean, it tells you how long it's been. And it, it didn't come close. It, it literally felt like Oregon was on the road and they played in Arizona, a team that, hey, Oregon's coming to town. Let's sell out the stadium. And then by halftime, half the crowd is gone because, oh, Oregon's really good. Arizona's really bad. Let's go do something fun for our Saturday night. Like that's the vibe. And it's it's not what Utah is. And, and Right. Be clear. I want to be very clear. That's not who Utah is traditionally. But that's the vibe of a game day that we got. Like, 
let's pack it out because it's Oregon week. And then, oh yeah, Oregon's still really good, and we're not, we're, we can't compete. And there was the juice early when the game it was, was close, there was and then bit. it just evaporated. And that's again a testament to how well Oregon played here. And, and again, I well, let, let's save some of those thoughts, big picture, towards yeah. the end of the podcast. Um, let's talk more about the defense and yep. what they were able to do. I'm trying to find the drive chart here just because we've got. We might be able to pull, pull up. up. Yeah, you probably can. Um, Sorry, bad live podcast. Hey, here you go, right here. Oh, that's even better. It's better on the screen than in my <laughs> notes here. But, I mean, just look through it, and, and and there's no consistency. They had three drives all game with 50 or more yards, no with more than 53. And those drives were capped with a turnover on downs on their first drive, which they faced fourth down twice. I thought the first one was the Kyrie Jackson P.I., and I, I didn't like Kyrie being in that spot, in part because the ball wasn't going to be catchable. Yeah. Um, and then the other two were a field goal and another turnover run downs. And we didn't get to see the end of that drive because we were on the elevator way, making our way down to the field for to get ready for post game. But like, there just was nothing working for, for Utah. They tried to find some fun things. Like I, I, I've not seen that kickoff play before. <laughs> yep. And as, and then what happened the next play? Taishi Johnson interception. interception. It was the second of the game. Um, those two picks were really pivotal. The first one set them up right in the red zone for what ended up being what, like a 30 yard drive for a touchdown. I mean, I just, Defense played extremely well, and they and again they, as Dan said, they found the, the the strength of Utah, and they just took it away. And when you took away the run game, it just isn't a whole lot left there. It goes back to what Jalil Florence talked about because I think I asked him like how how big of a factor was it for you guys defensively to see the the offense score a touchdown, and when you guys got a stop, they went out and scored again to go up by two scores. And he said it was a game changer because. We knew they couldn't throw the football, and we basically took away. He called it. There was a lot of left arm comments post game. Yeah, uh, he kind of critical left handed people who are good at left hand. Uh, Jalil said we kind of made them play with two left hands. Um, that would be really which hard. would be really hard to do. Uh, and that, but that goes to your point. Like they took away their strength, which was let's lean on our two running backs and Sione Vaki uh, and um, I'm forgetting Jackson. Jaquindon Jackson. And let's lean on those two guys and then maybe sprinkle in a little bit of Glover, sprinkle in a little bit of some QB runs with Bryson Barnes. And then all of a sudden, maybe we'll hit them with a drive where we throw it four or five times instead of the hit, one hit or two. Hit them deep here. Yeah. Then. yeah right. And they couldn't do any of that. And it, I felt like when they pulled that trick play on Oregon on the kickoff, that was them saying, okay, we have to be- dig into our bag of tricks now because we can't do anything offensively. And if we're going to win this game or if we're going to come back into this game, we've got to pull some things that just no one's expecting. we got to pull up the play sheet of all our trick plays and start ripping them. Like this is this is a game where we're going to run six or seven of them in, in hopes that we can spring a touchdown and whatnot. Um, someone in the press box told me that they were kind of critical of, of Willingham's um, inability to go forward on fourth down um, a couple times after – the, the Ducks have gotten up by a, a few scores at, you know, n- near midfield or even in their own territory of kind of like, you're just making the inevitable happen. You're not giving yourself a chance here, which I thought was, I don't know. Like, I go back and forth, right? Because I also go, do you really feel like your defense is going to stop? Right. On a 50, they have to go 50 yards. And I guess the other answer is maybe you're just not going to stop, period. That I mean, goes back to what Dan said about Washington right. and Penix, the last drive. Yeah, that's like, true. What's the difference? 20 more yards. I don't know, but. Oregon put them in that. Oregon put them in that position where they had to make those weird decisions, and it just wasn't easy to do. To your point, I just want to run through the running backs here because this is what we were talking about all week. 
Jalen Glover led them with nine carries for 39 yards. I think almost exclusively that's in the fourth quarter. I don't remember him touching the ball hard at all before that. So Quinn and Jackson, 12 for 37. Yeah. That's really impressive. It's a big guy. He falls forward to hold him to a long of eight. And then Sione Baki, who was really the story of the last couple of weeks for the youth, these two big games and moving up from safety, it was this – he did nothing. He had five carries for 11 yards. So, I mean, I, there's – I wonder how much, like, not disrespected Oregon felt, but, like, kind of like everyone's making a big deal about Utah being physical and Utah having this power run game and Utah being so tough and, and gritty, and no one's talking about us. Yeah. I wonder if that played a little bit of a factor into it and they just kind of knew. Kind of like, the Colorado thing. Yeah, like – we're just as tough. We're more gritty. We're just as, as good of a run game as they are. Like, and no one really talked about that, at least at Oregon Media Day. You know, the media days that we spoke with players. Um, and, you know, I I said to you during the game, like I thought it was interesting how Troy Franklin midweek said it's going to be a big week for the perimeter guys yeah. on our team. And you look at offensively and also defensively, mm-hmm. Oregon dominated on the edges. Like. They, they set the edges on both sides of the football. And Oregon, it was very clear in the first quarter, Oregon saw something offensively that we're going to get the ball out quick to the outside and we're just going to go. Well, I thought, I thought that was really interesting because the game started with the delay of game. And yep. Bo talked about how it's frustrating because after the kickoff, the clock starts right away. And they didn't, they just didn't get out there fast enough. And he was one of the – again, it's Bo Nix. He's going to be critical yep. of all these little minor things. That was one of them. But – I thought it was really interesting that we're coming right out of that. It was four straight passes, right? It was Tez a couple times. It was Troy a couple times. And they finally ran a dip. I think Bucky had an amazing run. that put him at the one and then Bo punched it in. Just the fact that they came out and said, we are going to force Utah to have to defend us on the perimeter, to your point. Yeah. Not, not, not specifically with the runs in those cases, but with throwing the ball out to Tez short, with getting the ball down the field to make it so Utah couldn't just stack the box, which is what they want to do. And once that happens, and once they're kind of playing on their heels, that's where they go to the run game. That's where Bucky breaks a big one. That's where Bo punches it in. So I'm with you, Matt. I, I thought it was impressive how Oregon attacked them and just the success they had. I mean, the Oregon ran the ball 27 times for 142 yards. That's that's like probably close to a season low for Oregon. But they averaged five yards per carry against the Utah defense, which was allowing, I think, 75 yards um, per game and about three yards, a little under three yards per carry. And then back to the defensive side, like, We've talked about it, how well they tackled, but it was also like Utah didn't couldn't even get around the corner. No. How many times did we see Oregon, you know, they try and bounce something out to the outside and Oregon had not just one guy, but two or three players yeah. rallying to the football and it'd be a one or a two yard gain or a tackle for loss. Or how many times did we see I think late in the second half or a couple times in the second half, we saw multiple defensive linemen just bull rush right through the offensive line and either make a Utah running back or quarterback have to completely alter their path of where they were going on, on, on their runs to avoid the hit or just straight up get hit. Um, Dan Lanning called it. I think it's, it's, it's safe to say by far the most complete game we've seen this season. And I think, Dan even said it's he probably said, his most complete yeah, game since he's been since here. Since he's been here against an opponent like this. And, and I think I, I tend to agree. I, I was trying to think after the game of, like, what the, the competition is, would be. And, and there's not a game against an opponent this good where you can really make that case. Like, the Colorado game earlier this year was a right. very complete game. But that was a Colorado team who we now not know very is, is not a great team. 
Like go back to last year, they had that win against UCLA. They had the win against BYU early. They had the road win against Arizona. Those are all those teams aren't as good. And Oregon actually wasn't even quite as dominant in those games. So I tend to agree. I, I mean, this was I know thirty-five to six isn't like Chip Kelly era dominance, but like this is current college football dominance, and this is especially like an SEC style dominance. I think this is the biggest win at Oregon since at Ohio State. Probably. Like, yeah, that's probably fair. And maybe if you want to go, like, what would be better than this after Ohio State? Like, I almost would want to say, like, the, the Rose Bowl. Like, outside of Ohio State. Like, if, if well, how about this? What's better than this? Like, for number the two spot. Like, Ohio what? State's a bigger win than this. For sure. Well, what, what's a bigger conference win? Probably the Pacto Championship game against Utah. Against Utah in, 2018. in, in 2019. Uh, yeah, 2019. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, that would probably be the case. You or made. or maybe the UW win in 2019. What's the What's the UW win, win in 2021 when they went up there and Mario? Yeah, that was another impressive one. That, was that wasn't quite. That wasn't. That was Washington a, wasn't. A bad Washington. Like yeah. Jimmy Lake got fired a couple That's minutes later. like four games. Like. And, and, and again, yeah, it's probably – you're probably right. It's probably, probably, probably the is. 19 championship game. And one, one game I'll shout out that wasn't anywhere near as complete but was another one that felt big was last year's win over Utah at home. Yes. Just because Bo was playing on a bad leg and Utah was coming in with a little bit of uh, momentum and Oregon really kind of stymied them and, and won that one, even though it was, it was a much, much, much closer game. It literally came down to Cam Rising throwing the ball, I think, at Dalton Kincaid's feet in the fourth <laughs> yeah. quarter. So, like, this was this was really, really, really impressive. Um I don't have anything to gripe about. Usually we have gripes. I guess you could argue. The penalties are the only ones, but like. Eight I, for 58. Eight's a lot. But I almost look at it and be like, you played so well in every other aspect. None of them impacted the game. No. I mean, the delay of game, the start of the game looked horrible in the moment that it happened. And then all Oregon did was went seven plays and yeah. seven, 80 yards as if it never even happened. There was the Patrick Herbert hold, which they kind of led to a three and out. I guess we're really getting it yeah. here, but I'm not even going to try to do that because I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that because this game was so freaking impressive. There's not a whole lot to. I mean, here's another one: five trips to the red zone, all of five them, touchdowns. I would say all of them touchdowns. All, all five of their touchdowns came from within the red zone. The longest touchdown of the day was a an 18 yarder to Jordan James. Like these were sustained drives that all ended in touchdowns. They didn't even, I mean, I think there were a couple of questions I had this week from Utah people about Camden Lewis and he didn't matter at all. In this nope. game. Kicked his extra points, made those, kicked the ball to the end zone. Uh, you had one, two that were returned. One was on that nifty. I actually really liked that play, that throwback. It really worked, but like, there just isn't a whole lot here to, to and, grab about. And I think the, what's really impressive is it's, it's literally like both offensively, like, very balanced. There wasn't one guy like Troy Franklin had eight catches for 99 yards and a touchdown. Like, but I don't really look at Troy Franklin like the touchdown catch that he made. It was Bo Nix making an incredible dip dive duck throw, and then you know he was dip dive duck yes, dodge dodge dodgeball. dodgeball. Um, he was just open. Troy Franklin was just open by that point, and you know Bo did all the work on that one. Um, he had some. You know, I think I had a couple big third down catches, but like you didn't have any like, oh my god, what a play by Troy Franklin. But Bucky had a couple. Bucky had a couple big plays. He always does. Yeah, like no one played out of their norm, and yet everyone played well, and that's where complete effort. It's a complete effort, and you just come back to this and just 
excuse me, look at this and be like, every it was a complete game. Like they didn't have to lean on one aspect of their offense. They didn't have to lean on one aspect of their defense to win them the game. They just played well everywhere, and it's gonna it's gonna be one of the best wins in in the last four or five years for this Oregon football team in in, in league play or out of league play. And it, and it sets them up. And this is one of the things I want to talk about. And maybe we can kind of start wrapping up around this, but. Um, I was confident after the Oregon-Washington game, that devastating loss, that the Ducks were going to play in the conference championship. Yeah. I, I looked at the schedule and, and felt pretty confident. There were still six games at the time. Getting through this one, the way they did it, with how poorly USC looked today, barely beating Cal. And they, I mean, they won because Cal went for two when they didn't need to. I think Cal's just being aggressive there. Right. I, I, I don't mind it, but you're right. Like USC didn't really, like, didn't really. Fifty to forty-nine wasn't impressive. Arizona State, I, I don't actually know what their game is. They're beating Washington State. I saw it come across the uh, ticket. Okay, maybe that game's a more interesting. The, the Oregon State game to me now is, is, the, is the last hurdle, and yeah. I am curious to watch in a couple hours. We're recording this about, what, about an hour maybe before – 20, 20 minutes, minutes before kickoff. Before kickoff in the uh, Arizona-Oregon State game. We'll see how that goes. But I, I think you have to feel really good about a rematch brewing. Yes. You know, and, and USC plays at Washington, I believe, next week. We'll see how that goes. USC could get worn out in that game too. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they lose that game and it's another emotional one. Like they're really going to come to Austin and pose much of a threat. I don't even know if they played their best at this point. They pose that much of a threat if Oregon's playing a good game. So yeah, Evan Williams and Ty Sheem say this defense they haven't even hit it yet, but they're trending up. And that, yeah, and they're getting close to playing their best football. Um, so to your point, I don't even think if USC plays their best right now that they can beat Oregon. If Oregon plays, if Oregon best. plays, Oregon, unless Oregon just kind yes. of stumbles. Best like first, best. Oregon's better by far. And so my point is, like, I think December first is looking a lot like Ducks Huskies 2.0. and that's a game I'm really excited about. Not to go too far down the line here, but that's what we do on podcasts. We can talk about those kind of things. And if Oregon plays the way they did tonight, I think there's a really good chance to end up winning that game and, and that would set them up to probably be in the college football playoff. I still looked yesterday. I was looking at the ESPN's college football playoff predictor. And if Oregon won out, it still said there was a, there's 75% chance they'd make it. So that means there's still a good chance, 25% chance they wouldn't, which kind of feels ridiculous with how good this conference is. And Oregon's one loss was a three point loss against a, currently a top five team on the road. So I think you have to be feeling really, really good. If you're an Oregon fan, I'm sure Dan Landing and company feels really, really good about where they're at because this is, this is shaping up to be, I think, a really special finish to the season. Um, looking around the conference, I said it before the Washington game. I'll say it now. I think it's I think their separation. I think it's Oregon. I think it's Washington. I think they're now pretty clearly the teams to be um, in this conference, and I think they're quite a bit better than everybody. I, I'm not going to be surprised at all if that's a rematch in Las Vegas where neither team has lost since. So we saw Georgia win. We saw Michigan have a bye. Ohio State's currently playing right now. Uh, and a, a close game against Wisconsin. Um, Pe- uh, Florida State won today. Washington, um, they're currently playing against Stanford. I don't know the score of that one. I'm assuming they're up big. They're up nine points in the fourth quarter. It's actually it's a lot closer okay. than you think. And then Oklahoma lost. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think it's a question at all. I think Oregon's by far the best one-loss team in the country right now. Total agreement. And I think you could probably say – they're probably better than Ohio State. Maybe we'll see. Um, they're they're on par with if all the other way, teams. If they play the way they did right now, they can compete and beat 
Any of those teams. Almost any of those teams, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Georgia, I just have a hard time saying they're going to beat Georgia. Georgia, Georgia beat them by like a million last and year. Georgia, it's hasn't, Georgia hasn't lost in two and a half years or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of hard to suggest yes. that. But I'm, I, I agree, Matt. I, I, and this is one of the questions I think somebody asked Dan was about like, it was Bill Ormond, the Oregonian, who does a great job, but just asked like, you've, you were a part of a couple of national champ or one national championship team at Georgia. Is this starting to have that feel for it? And, you know, he's not going to come out and say we're going to win a national championship because yes. they are on that one week mission. But you could kind of get a sense that they're they're playing some of their best football right now. And this is the time to be doing that. And if they can carry this over, they you know, think about it, three of the last four games are at home. They get to go home for the majority of this next next four weeks here. Um, shaping up to be, I think, a really good finish for the season. Yeah, it just dawned on me. One more road game. We barely have to travel. We can put our feet up. <laughs> one more road game left the season for the Ducks. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast, post-game edition. Uh, next time you hear from us, all three of us, Jared Mack, will be on here as well. Uh, and we'll be on Monday uh, with a mailbag getting you ready for this weekend's home game. 2.30 kick on the Pac-12 network against California, a team that probably is feeling pretty good, even though they lost by one point to a USC team. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.